Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle. Uh, I write at the website readyforpolyamory.com, and I host this podcast. So I wanted to uh, thank everyone who came to my polyamory and parenting class last Saturday, and also remind you that if you'd like to, you can still purchase tickets to that because it gets you a copy of the recording and admission to the second Q&A session, which is going to be this Saturday, the 30th of April at 11.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and that second Q&A was originally created because the idea was to try to cover more people's uh, parenting schedules and basically accommodate different people's availability. But... Um, if you didn't get to make it to the first session, you can at least listen to the recording of the class portion and come to the second live Q&A. I'd be really excited to have you there. Uh, today's podcast topic is very different um, from that. Me and Annie Undone, who you may know from Instagram, are going to be talking about polyamory and kink and the intersections of polyamorous relationships and kinky relationships and how those different dynamics can impact one another. Those of you who follow Annie on Instagram uh, might know a little bit about how her journey through kink kind of led her to her polyamorous journey. Uh, but she's going to talk with us a little bit about that in this episode. For those of you who don't know who Annie is, Annie Undone is the pseudonym of an Instagrammer, writer, and artist who uses her platform to try to teach about the diversity of different love and sexual experiences. Um, because as a queer kinkster, she feels like representing a diverse experience is really important for us all to sort of see ourselves reflected in all of these different social media spaces. I had a great time chatting with her and I hope you enjoy listening to it. But listener be advised, there is much more frank talk of sexuality and more explicit discussion of sexual activity than there is in most of my episodes in this. Uh, so unlike usual, we kind of make a little bit of an illusion or sort of nod and smile and fade to black. There's a little bit of frank discussion here. Definitely don't listen to this one with the kids in the room and um, use your own discretion as to whether or not these are topics that you prefer to listen on. We do very much discuss the emotional sides of these relationships, the emotional complications they bring to dynamics and have a great uh, discussion about de-escalating dynamics and what that looks like. But it is all entangled with these sort of very adult subjects. So listener beware. So thank you for joining me today, Annie. Um, I know that because your whole sort of Instagram presence is about this intersection of kink and polyamory, that you're another person who I can talk to about this. Uh, for me, polyamory and kink are two things that I kind of found at the same time as a young person. So for me, they've been kind of in intertwined the whole time that I've been doing mm -hmm. them. Uh, yeah. And I've found that that's been a kind of interesting way to explore this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think they're, they, they weren't initially intertwined, but they became very quickly intertwined as I discovered that I had this very switchy side. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think for me, the BDSM is what led to the polyamory. Um, even though polyamory was maybe on my radar 
a little bit before that, well, maybe not polyamory specifically, but um, non-monogamy, because I had friends who were swingers. Right, and like they had openness kind of, like, of relationships in different contexts. Yeah, like I didn't know, um, I didn't know that, I didn't know that this whole world, this intersectional world existed at first. But once I started really getting into the nuts and bolts of like what um, what was going on in the BDSM world, I noticed that a lot of people were having different dynamics. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then when that came up for me um, and somebody proposed having a switchy dynamic with me, I was like, oh, this is a whole, whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's been really interesting because my polyamory has had to evolve kind of significantly in terms of how we practice it uh, in different relationships I've been in based on figuring out how to kind of differentiate different kink dynamics we had at the time, because I don't switch that significantly. So figuring out are you, how to def- are you subleaning or don't so I'm generally subleaning and figuring out how to differentiate having multiple partners who are on the same side of the slash versus going mm-hmm. like I have one partner who's into BDSM and one who isn't has been a really interesting right. kind of journey because I think most people are very have a very easy time going oh, well, we give you something entirely different if this person is into these things and this person isn't, or if I'm into these kinks and they're into those kinks. But if two people are into kind of the same spectrum of things, like they're both into impact and, uh, you know, knives or whatever, but they're not into rope, how Mm -hmm. then do they get to feel that they're differentiated has been like, a really important journey in our polyamory and figuring out how to differentiate dynamics with yeah, individuals. When, when I was in a quad um, with, and we were all in like a kink space together and both mm-hmm. the men identified as daddies, that was like really, really tricky. So like, and it was funny because like with my husband, I didn't really, like the funny thing is his honorific has always been daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really didn't, have like a set honorific but then Mm -hmm. in the other dynamic with my boyfriend Tyler I did have a set honorific and then his wife was like well I want an honorific but not the same one as her so she ended up being baby doll and I ended up being baby girl Mm -hmm. and it took us a really long time to get to the place like I started off calling him daddy bear instead Mm -hmm. of daddy because my husband was like absolutely not can we be the same title and then when my husband was thinking about getting into a dynamic with someone else, we opened up the very interesting conversation of, well, does the honorific go with the dom or does it belong to the relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was when we kind of opened the conversation of saying like, well, I think the honorific goes with dom because if you want to be called daddy, like, but nothing else feels right to you, then that's your honorific, right? But that's also a really difficult ask for people in established relationships who like maybe want to feel differentiated or special. Right. For some people, it's really about the interplay of their dynamic with one person. And it's about determining, is it about the dynamic between the two of you that you built up this honorific? Or is it about 
the individual's self-identity, what that honorific is. Right. Now, I will say, and as you were saying, like, these things evolve, I'm no longer in that quad. And I don't think, from my experience in that, where eventually it came to, you know, having these, like, two daddy doms, Mm -hmm. I don't think that I would want to revisit that again. I think I would, I really want to keep that daddy baby girl relationship with Mm -hmm. just my husband at this point. Um, and I did learn that, but I think I kind of had to do it to learn it too. Right. Like for some people they can have multiple caretaker, little dynamics because that's their primary kink. And for some people, a caretaker, caretaker, little dynamic is something that they can't do in more than one dynamic, or even just a soft dom dynamic. Isn't something they can do in more than one. They need one softer and one harsher interesting dynamic I've never done I I didn't do any sort of age play with my husband we don't do Mm -hmm. any sort of age play um my honorific is just baby girl with him Mm -hmm. with the other with Tyler we did do age play which Mm -hmm. was interesting um and the it, it is the standalone time I've ever done age play and I don't know that I ever will again but I had this very it was a very naturally and we had a bit of a switchy relationship um so I was sometimes a very devious 17 year old. <laughs> so, and, and that's the only time that's ever come up for me. And so I think it's really interesting. Now my dynamics are a little more like, I guess to say like they're, I have a dynamic with my husband, which, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of know the, the deal there. And then I have um, an emergent dynamic with CJ mm-hmm. where I, we're switchy. Um, but I am on top maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, my husband's a gentle Dom and I'm a gentle Dom. So I think it's really interesting. I always talk about, and like, for me, it feels very true that they kind of form like this perfect circle with one another. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like when I'm subbing for my husband, I wind up in this space where, um, I'm like much more excited to Dom with CJ then. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like forms this, I don't know, it like feeds itself, I guess. Yeah. And like with play partners, I can service top and I do that like at parties and stuff. And I find that's mm-hmm. a really interesting, exciting energy to get into with friends in a specific context for me. And that's one of the things that I like about polyamory is that I can explore those dynamics with people. But for me, for like romantic relationships specifically, I want a certain kind of undercurrent of energy to it that for me needs certain kinds of sexual dynamics underlying it. Because for me, that's part of how romance works. And I get that's very much not true for everyone, but for me, it is. And so fascinating. Like, I, I, I guess I find that fascinating. Like, how can that not be true for people? Because to me, BDSM is so romantic. Like, it's so romantic. Like, I could service top and I could do, we, you know, we once, we once had a play quad where mm-hmm. it was less romantic and it was just more play based. But mm-hmm. we, but Scott, And Joanna were very romantically tied to one another. And Paul and I are very romantically tied to one another. So there was still that, that was in the room, you know, and it was very sensual, but like, I, 
I guess for me, all BDSM, like the real dynamic based stuff, not like just the play partner kind of stuff, but the dynamic based stuff to me is just so highly romantic that I can't fathom that it couldn't be that way for somebody, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I get that, like, some people just have an experience that's really foreign to mine because I can't put myself in the shoes of someone who's asexual, for example, because I'm basically as far out of that end of the spectrum as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm all the way on the other end. So I can go intellectually, I understand that this is true for you. Emotionally, my... I can't get in your experience. And the same thing is true for me on the romantic spectrum. I can't go this experience that for me is imbued with a lot of meaning and a lot of tension of this kind of romantic nature, right? This is the undercurrent of how I build that intimacy. So I can't see how someone does those same actions and doesn't start to build that intimacy. But I know that they don't because sometimes I can do those actions with someone and it doesn't hit right because for them it's not building that. You know, like when mm. I'm trying, when I'm figuring out whether there's going to be a dynamic with someone and it doesn't start to build in that first scene or two, usually it's because there's someone who doesn't do this with that intention. And they don't know how to identify really that, right? Until we're in scene. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that'll become yeah. someone who like, if we have similar skills or interests, they'll become someone who I lab things with. If they're a friend, mm -hmm. if it's someone who it's like the first gotcha. few dates and we're trying something out, we'll just be like, oh, this was great, but it didn't work. <laughs> but like, sight <laughs> uh, gags, guys, I'm waving. I don't, but like... ever... I don't think I've ever actually like had much play or um or without an emotional connection of some sort i guess like my social life is at this point entrenched in my local kink scene so a lot of the time oh, that's so like, great. my social life is going to the local rope lab and like trying out casual ties with my friends and labbing and whatever and I'm not even that that into rope. It's just that the rope lab is what survived the pandemic. So yeah. like, mm -hmm. this is where we hang out. This is how we do it. Um, and like my friend who owns the local rope lab has been a guest on the show a couple of times. Some of you will remember Corwin. Um, but like, so all of us hang out in this space and it's therefore I end up doing a lot more of this kind of non-sexual, non-romantic play than I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of new um, experience for me, but non, it's also I've had non-sexual dynamics before. Right. But it's just, this used to be something that I pretty exclusively did. <laughs> it's somebody else's dog instead of my dog for once. This is wonderful. Guys, we have an addition. It's not just Pumpkin the Beagle on this season. It's Jack the Dachshund. It's Jack the Dachshund this time. But, uh, but so where for me in dynamics and in sort of re like relationships that I'm building, this whole thing ends up adding layers for me. So if I'm building dynamics with different people and I'm trying to figure out what I have with each of them, I try to make a point of sort of figuring out what's different about them because mm -hmm. in my own head that helps me feel like I'm not taking anybody for granted as it were, or like using them as a kink dispenser too. But yeah, every dynamic that I've ever, like no two dynamics are ever the same, whether it's been a dynamic that's 
highly sexual or completely non-sexual, the, the offerings that people have. And that's one of the things I love about polyamory. Like one of my most intimate dynamics was with my asexual partner, Sam. And, um, you know, I think that really, that was a game changer for me because I didn't know that dynamics could be that intimate, but I also didn't, he brought out a lot of things in me as a dom that I did not know I had. Like I have a very strong sadist side and I had no idea. And it's funny too, because, um, I think a lot of people associate like, um, you know, a femdom who's, who's like engaging in like pain play or sadist play, like to be a little bit more hard, but I discovered that you can have a very strong sadist side and very much be a gentle femdom that these Mm -hmm. things are not mutually exclusive. So I found that really interesting. Um, like, and I, that's something I was very surprised at. And the, the edges of that for me were a lot farther out than I imagined. (laughs) So that was, um, that, that was one of the more, I guess, uh, surprising things I've learned about myself. Yeah, I can believe it. And like, so when I, a few years ago, I like went looking for resources about kink and polyamory. And so like I found uh, Raven Caldera's book, Power Circuits, which is like the book I've about this book. It's on my, it's on my Amazon list. Yes. Right. And so it's pretty good, but it's very much written from a Dom's perspective. Um, and so as a sub reading it, there's like a little bit of an undercurrent of like, you know, if your dom allows it, I guess you can date around, but in the like subtext. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's funny Um, too. I I think there's like, there's something a bit territorial about being a dom too, right? Like mm -hmm. even for my husband, like, I don't want you calling anyone else daddy. Like I, I get it. I get it in a way, but it's like, would I, would I territorially be like, well, and I don't want you calling anyone else baby girl. Like, I don't know. Do I want to get into that space? Well, right. And like some people would be, and it's legit. If you guys need to sit down and talk about those things, like, Hey, it's okay if you do this sometimes, but I'd really rather it not be somebody's like primary nickname because it's mine. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the name we always use for me in scenes. So could it not be the primary word you use for someone? If it pops out at some point, who cares? That's a thing that happens. But like, try not to make it somebody's primary honorific is a totally legit conversation to have in either direction, because sometimes that differentiation is something that people really need for security. Mm -hmm. But like, at the same time, it shouldn't be the first place you go, probably. And I think it's interesting too, because I, even when dynamics have been, have, have seemingly like with the two daddy situation, for example, Mm -hmm. like when it seems that the dynamics are similar, the people in them are so different that they play out really differently. Like with Tyler, my dynamic was based a lot in role play Mm -hmm. and flipping scenes and because we were a little bit switchy, so sometimes if I would start out on top and then he would end up on top in the end. Mm-hmm. And 
so while the honorifics were similar, the vibe was very different. And like the type of care that I get from my husband as a daddy is very different from the type of vibe that I would get from him. So, and even, you know, I've had dynamics that on the surface as a Dom seem to be a little bit similar, Mm -hmm. um, but they're not at all. Like um, the dynamic that I have with CJ has a little bit of the flavor of the dynamic I had with Sam, but with Sam, we had, I was, you know, my honorific is mommy and we were in an owner property, Mm non-sexual dynamic. Mm -hmm. And with CJ, the honorific we have for each other is actually the same. We (laughs) each call each other baby, but we are switchy and we're still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like care and femdom points in it. Um, but there's not a lot of pain play. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting because everybody's king profile is so unique. It's well, and in a way it's the same as in vanilla dating where like you can have two boyfriends who you both call boyfriend and who go to the same restaurants, but the experience with each of them is different right? Like you're having different conversations over a similar dinner. You're having a different conversation when you go on the same, the walk through the same neighborhood after is a different experience because you're noticing different things because they point out different things because they draw your attention to them through a different conversation, right? Like even if you propose the same date in scare quotes, it's not the same date. Mm Right. Yeah. Because the people are so different and, and it's, and that's, what's interesting. That's, what's great about kink is like, you can really dig in. There's like, there's so many places to go with kink. There's such an evolution there. You know, we were even talking about, cause I had, um, in September, a failed scene that kind of broke my kink, to be honest. Mm. I, um, I kind of disengaged from kink for six months after that, um, because it was just a shocking fail, I guess. Um, and like, as we were like getting back into it again, I had said to my husband, like, I have to like reevaluate everything because the things that I liked six months ago are different now. And I don't mm-hmm. feel the same about these things now. I don't want to hear this, but I do want to hear that. I, I think I'm interested in this, but I'm not interested in that. Like, and it, so it's funny how like your kink evolves or like you kind of have to hit back at start like six months of not taking impact. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like such a weakling. Well, right. You <laughs> like, sort of restart and move back and forth. And I find the same thing is true in polyamory. And so they're really compatible, mm-hmm. but also complicate yes. each other in a way. Because Mm -hmm. if you're changing up the profiles of your kink relationships, it shifts where you need to be with your polyamory to compensate for it sometimes. Yeah. And it it gets complicated because it's like, I'll I'll have a bit of a story on this because like, and I don't know how you feel about this as a submissive, because I know everybody feels different about this, but Mm -hmm. like, I love having marks. I feel like I, I just, I love it. I think it's, it's wonderful. Um, but when CJ and I started our relationship, CJ was very adamant that he was not kinky, which was so adorable because I could spot it a mile away. I was like, this dude is so kinky, but he doesn't even know. Um, but one thing that he was very upfront about was he was like, I love like to give hickeys. Is this like, and I was like, and here I am. And you were like, age, here's the green flag. I'm like age 36. I'm like, hickeys, really? I've never had a hickey in my whole life. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I've been bruised from impact and all this other stuff. Never had a hickey in my life. Um, and so it was just something that he enjoyed doing. And I was like, yeah, whatever. That's cool. So he gave me a hickey that I actually didn't even know was there. Mm-hmm. And my husband saw it and hit the roof. And he was like, I just can't stand the thought I did that someone else is leaving marks on you is just inconceivable to me. Mm-hmm. And it actually led to like an extremely tense moment between the three of us. Um, and like a lot of talk of like, well, <laughs> I mean, okay, like you don't like this, but this is on my body. So mm-hmm. I'm consenting to have it. And he's like, yeah, but I'm your, but I'm your dom. Like, so there was all of this and it wasn't even really a kinky thing. Although I guess one could make the argument that maybe it was, but like, this is where this stuff gets really tricky in kink and polyamory. And it doesn't even have, like one person can be doing something from a vanilla perspective when the other person is like, I'm associating this in my mind with kink and dominance. And this guy is asserting his dominance on you. And I'm like, excuse me, I've got my own body and like desires here too. So this stuff gets complicated very quickly. Well, right. So you end up breaking it down to like, okay, what things am I giving you dominant control over and for how long and where does the container end? And even if we're saying 24 seven, if we're actually polyamorous, where are the boundaries of that? What does it lift for? Does it lift for the duration of my dates? If my dates leave marks, are those included? Are they not included? What things am I then negotiating with people around? Right? So I went to a really great uh, DS and polyamory class at a conference that I was at a couple weeks ago. Um, and the, the person teaching brought along, uh, two of her submissives to help like sort of co-teach and they were mostly just sort of waiting and bringing supplies and then occasionally chiming in when she like missed a point. And one of them raised a finger to make a point when she was talking about um, dates and marks and whatever, because she has different rules for each of her submissives about who can have what marks from other people because they have different dating other people profiles. So she has different negotiated rules with each of them. Yeah. I do think raised a hand to be like, our agreement is actually different than what you just said. That's important to note because every one of your relationships can be different. Yeah. Like, and and that's like, you know, it's interesting because when we talk about like individualizing relationships, Mm -hmm. that can also be true. I mean, because of course, like CJ has been a little more, um, I guess we'll say cautious with the hickey since then, but he's also left other bruises on me. And it was funny because Paul didn't have a problem with that. He's like, these bruises, they don't bother me so much. This other stuff, it really does. And so we kind of chilled out on that. Um, But there was a few weeks ago where I had left a bunch of marks as well as body writing on CJ as we're progressing Mm -hmm. in our kink relationship here. Um, And he was with somebody else on more unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And she asked if she could kiss the marks I left. And I wish That's he had cute. never told me that. Oh. I did not like it. I was so incensed See, by the thought I'm like, of that. That's adorable. 
I'm like, and that's a thing about how people are. Different. I had, a, I had a case of rage. I had a case of rage. I was like, who asked that? What kind of territorial crap is this? Like, I wish you never told me that. And he's like, well, I wouldn't let her do it. Like, that's yours. Like, that's your work. And I was like, yeah, you better believe it. Like, I, I mean, like, it was just like, so it's funny because these things do go in all ways. And I, I personally, I personally do not think that it's appropriate to ask something like that. That comes off as very territorial to me. Um, but I also didn't know he was going to be with someone else. And if I would have known that, would I have left the same marks there? Probably not. Because to me, those are private. So I think it's, it, I'm, I'm sure there's a multitude of ways to feel about this. Right. Um, cause like, obviously, because your reaction is so different than mine. Yeah, like for me, having marks and sharing marks and doing the like, showing that you're on board with and respectful of all the other dynamics by either adding additional marks or loving on the marks that are there is like, showing that you embrace all of who the person is at the moment that you get them right so, so i don't know you're you're blowing my mind in, in, so in, like these are just different ways of looking at the same thing but like that's no, you're, how you're i've always is, embraced it you're thinking so, like, much more generous because than mine. <laughs> i'm with so like my romantic partner is switchy and if he ever turns up with marks, like I'll double check that it's okay because sometimes people have feelings about it, right? So if he, mm -hmm. like, if my partner had said, no, of course, don't touch them, I wouldn't. But mm -hmm. like, so long as they're okay with it, including that in your like regular exploration of their body is showing that you embrace all of who they are, including the other play they're doing. And like, that I'm not I'm rejecting that, that part of him, which like, especially for somebody who's switchy, sometimes they can feel like they're getting rejected for the other part of what they're doing. Interesting. I mean, I had never considered that. And like, that was a big thing in my dynamic with my ex-husband because he was switchy and bi. Mm -hmm. And so like, he would sometimes feel like female partners would reject him if he came back with marks from sessions with male partners. And so um, it was like a big deal to him that he was getting accepted as a whole person in whatever context he came back in. And yeah, so that became I, I, a part of I, I my mindset. I can't wait to talk to my like More than 10 years ago. Yeah. No, I think I actually think that that's a great mindset to have. I'm going to, I'm going to internalize that and pitch it to my people because, like, you it's know, fine I, if that's I think not where someone is, but like, cause mm -hmm. you have to meet people where they are at the moment and where they and their partners are matters to how you interact with it. Right. So if anybody ever mm -hmm. said, oh, no, I don't want these interacted with. They're my marks from so and so. Please don't mess with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I've certainly had marks where I'm like, I don't want you to like do additional impact here, not because it particularly hurts anymore, but because I want these marks to stay how they were and fade on their own. Because right. those are my marks from so and so. Mm -hmm. But like, other than that kind of thing, I don't mind them getting interacted with usually. And I know some people do. That's a, it's, it's so interesting. I just, it, and it's a fascinating conversation because, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but like, I don't hear, or at least in the, the, the spaces that I'm in on like Instagram and stuff like that, mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of people talking about like the intimacy and conversation around the marks that come from BDSM. Right. 
I, I don't know why. I don't know why it is we don't we don't talk about it as much because it's such I mean, it's such a huge part of the experience. I mostly hear it in kink spaces and only mm -hmm. in person in kink spaces, which means that it's been like two years where we weren't having these conversations. And now suddenly right. there's a flood of newbies and we're like trying to do so much 101 education in person that a lot of these yeah. conversations are just barely happening now. It's it's kind of overwhelming, yeah. actually, because post-pandemic, there's such a flood of new people. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people discovered themselves during the pandemic. I mean, we were yeah. home for, you know, a couple of years, just, you know, well, right. here, Trying new stay things home. and doing some research. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we came into our polyamory. We had come into our kink about a year before the pandemic, and we came into our polyamory, like, throughout the pandemic. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, and when we had started out, too, um, in our play partnership with Scott and Joanna, that was like a primarily like kink based mm -hmm. um, relationship we had with them. I mean, that was just the most fascinating. These people showed up with the biggest trunk of toys and goodies I've ever seen in my mm -hmm. life. Like I got to try so many different kinds of impact tools. Um, and I live in like a super small town, so we don't have a huge kink scene here. Like mm -hmm. we're preparing to go to our first kink night at a club in a city a mm -hmm. few hours away, like in May. So I'm, I'm still, I'm not a newbie to this scene, but as far as like public and like kink spaces that are more public, I've not had the chance to go to yet. Well, right. Like our local dungeon closed during the pandemic because the pandemic basically screwed up the space that they had um but oh. so only the like tiny little boutique rope studio stayed open and because there have been so many newbies they've now made enough money that they can move to a bigger space so it might just be that everyone else rents space from them in the future yeah and i think it's interesting because we all i mean it's really really important in the kink community to have and i think it's the same in polyamory like it's important to have a community around you especially when you're checking hey is this okay is this how this works what should mm -hmm. i be doing or when you have like technical questions like i i can't tell you how many times i've been like hey sam how long can i leave nipple clamps on like when you have like technical questions about kink and you're trying to like no, like how long is it safe to kneel on rice? How, like yep. all of these like technical questions and you don't have a community to ask. And it's the same in polyamory. Like, hey, this situation came up. Like, what do I do? If you have no one to ask, then you're like in like a weird trial and error space that, that can honestly be a little dangerous. Right. And there's a lot of great things that have gone digital in the interim, but there's so many things that are hard to teach digitally that like, yeah how are we going to run a flogging class digitally or like, like needle play like i would love to take a yeah. sharps class but i don't want to do that over the internet like i need to be in person to do a sharps class i can't yeah. i i can't absorb that information like you know without being in person to be able to like see the way it goes exactly. so I've, i mean i've seen a lot of demos online but it's just not the same it's not yeah and like there's all kinds of things that are just better and safer run in person that mm -hmm. I'm really sort of looking forward to our slow progression back to in-person activities. Yeah. And I think people are like socially, um, 
a little out of practice too. Like it's easy to not show up now. Yep. It's a lot easier to not show up at this point. We've gotten used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that way all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I am hoping that things will open back up and I'm hoping to kind of, like I said, we're, we we're kind of planning this little adventure in May to go to this BDSM night at a club. And I'm very excited because we've been like, when are we going to be able to, you know, but it takes a lot of planning for us because we're parents and, you know, we, yep. like I said, we live in a small town, so we have to travel to, to access these things. And we're, we're close to a few major cities, but, um, getting those classes and education or just doing like, you know, there's the, the fun weekends and hotel takeovers mm-hmm. and things like that, or conferences, um, and things that we'd like to do. Um, but it takes a lot more planning when you're not in a city center. Yep. It for sure does. I, as a parent, I understand, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, So I guess the other quick thing I wanted to do are like the sort of kink and polyamory myths. Mm. Um, One of the common questions that I get every time I write at all, even obliquely about kink and polyamory on the blog are things like uh, if I have, uh, if somebody I'm dating has a dom, do they become my dom is one of the questions I always get. And my answer is, well, that depends. Do you want them to be? <laughs> I think that's like such a multifaceted question. My gut is like, no, of course not. Right. Like, nothing is transitive not, about nothing's relationships. Nothing's compulsory, right? But also like, here's the other thing. Are you into group dynamics? Do you want to date that person? Do you like who they are? Um, have you met them? Like, right. <laughs> there's so many, like, and this is kind of like, this gets into the, I I don't know why I didn't hear this term until very, very recently, but mm-hmm. it sort of drives me nuts. This idea of lap sitting polyamory, which mm-hmm. I don't know why this makes me so irritated <laughs> in it my heart. It irritates me because it's a like term that say, first, it's hard to say and not sound like you're saying something else. Second, <laughs> it, I've only heard it in the wild once. I just hear it <laughs> on podcasts and educationally otherwise. So like, I know I'm part of the problem because I'm helping spread it, but well, my it's useful because like, I, mean, I was it calling is... it kitchen table with extras before, and this is shorter, so I'll use it. Well, to me, I think it's just an offshoot of kitchen table. Like some right. people who are kitchen table will be romantically entwined or sexually entwined, mm-hmm. and some people won't. Um, but like, it's the same in kink, right? Like it's the same in polyamory as it is in kink. Like sometimes you will have extended relationships to these other people that your people mm-hmm. are attached to. And sometimes you won't like for us, you know, I'm romantically attached to Paul I'm romantically attached to CJ. We all have sex like together, but they don't have sex. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we are kitchen table. I, guess technically we're lap sitting I guess technically like there could potentially be some kinky elements that cross over from like a fantasy perspective like I have my most formative fantasy and what I need is like a mean dom and a nice dom I feel like these guys could accomplish that for me like so yeah sometimes there is crossover in those things you know like even like the last time the three of us had sex it was like my husband's telling me I'm a good girl and he, and 
CJ's calling me baby. And I'm like, Hey, this is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? So there's like those elements there sometimes. Um, but no, like you don't have to be involved with anybody just because they're involved with somebody else. Exactly. Like nothing is required. All of these things are negotiable. Yeah. At the same time, it's not like polyamory means anything in particular for your kink dynamics or kink means anything in particular for your polyamorous dynamics unless you want it to. Yeah. Both of these things are extremely customizable. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like I think that's the answer to every question I ever get about this. Um, But all of them sort of come off as, but is there a true way to do this? No. And the answer is no. (laughs) You know, I always feel like that's like, I I do want to say, I think, and in kink, I feel like we call this old school versus new school. Mm -hmm. Like there's always this sense of it, like any group can become evangelized, like Mm -hmm. in the same way polyamory can, can be, um, so can kink. And they say that, you know, there, you see it on, I think Reddit is the place that comes to mind when you think of the, like, of these groups being, like, evangelized and being, like, this is the way to do it. Like, mm-hmm. it happens in kink on Reddit all the time, and it happens in polyamory on Reddit all the time, where there's all these, like, little, like, gatekeeping markers of, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the way it should be, and that that's the way it should be. No, that's just the way you do it. There's no right way. Like, when you is it in the new topping book or in the new bottoming book where they say like, it's your dynamic. Like it's really true. Like I have femdom dynamics that are based in care of me as the femdom, Mm -hmm. like, or based in mutual care. And like some of those things look extremely vanilla, like CJ washing my hair, you know, like it, but that to me is very kinky. Like, Mm -hmm go and wash my face and my hair. Like to me, that's, that's 100% kinky. Or like uh, the example I always use is like, yeah, I look like a housewife, like doing dishes, cooking dinner, folding laundry. No, I'm a service submissive. I'm trying to get late. Right. 1950s household is a legit dynamic. Yes. Um, yes. Like you just don't know. Like, it's a so whole I category. It's, yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Like there's, there's so many ways to make, make mix and match these different dynamics and the way that things happen um, from both the kink and polyamory and the crossover of kink and polyamory. Right. And I think sometimes, uh, so like another question that I often get is, does having kink dynamics in your polycule require a certain amount of hierarchy? And it's like, only if you guys decide they do. Right? Like if you decide that because you have a DS dynamic within a couple that's opening up, that you're going to maintain a certain amount of hierarchy because you want that dom to have a certain amount of control over that sub. And that means that it's easier if that couple remains primary so that other relationships are different and differentiated in that particular way. You can negotiate that. I wouldn't. You can. Right? Yeah. I think that's complicated. Like, well, um, it is, but all of these are complicated depending on how yeah. you want to do it. Well, and it also just depends on your situation. Like if I want to do orgasm control with a partner mm-hmm. and they live with someone else, how it's does tricky. that work? Why yeah. Like, and that's, it? and to me, that's not necessarily hierarchical. That's just pragmatic. Like how mm-hmm. do you work that exactly under those circumstances? You know? So I think that's, it's interesting. And I think that's also an example of where kitchen table can really work because if you've got, 
you know, more than one person in a polyamorous dynamic and everybody's kinky, well, sometimes they're going to have to team up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So in some ways, non-hierarchy and kitchen table can really work for sort of teaming up on someone in yeah. play with these yeah. dynamics. And sometimes they can really like you can use the opposite at the same time, right? You can go, mm -hmm. oh, we're really parallel. So we are going to carve out the moments that you're with somebody else outside of the bits that are our dynamic. And either way can work. It depends on what you need. Yeah. And I, I also, we also should draw the distinction of like, just because your kitchen table doesn't mean you're sharing all the time. Like absolutely every relationship really needs its, its very own time and its own space, no matter mm -hmm. what you're doing, you know? And I think that's, I think, you know, and it's a double, it's a, it's a double edged sword too, because while, um, kink and polyamory lend themselves very well to one another. It, they also, it can also cause a lot of complication and jealousy as well, because, yeah. you know, you do have these like really intimate dynamics. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I, I like to do kink from a dynamic perspective, not a play partner perspective, but I don't mm -hmm. want to be in dynamic with people. I don't have love relationships to. Yep. So to me, saying I'm in dynamic with this person is a cut above saying I'm, this is my boyfriend or my partner or something like yep. that. Those relationships run a lot deeper. And, and, you know, it's, I hear from people in the community a lot, like, you know, the breakups are also so much harder when you're in dynamic because, you know, yep. like even just the other day, someone said to me, it's, I didn't just lose my partner. I just lost my daddy. Yeah, look, I took two years after my last breakup to like fully process it before I started looking for another relationship that was in a similar, like at all similar kind of dynamic because mm -hmm. you need the space to process. And for me, that's a lot of emotional bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like, the, the intimacy, I mean, I think that was one of the harder aspects of my breakup with Tyler was I, I lost the dynamic as well as the relationship itself and we're still friends That's a lot yeah. <laughs> and like you know i had to maintain the other relationships i was in so at that right. point you're expending bandwidth on that so then i had to use what was left of my energy to process that breakup before i could start trying to see people again did and you then find... there was a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> did you find that like when you're trying to process those heavy emotions it has an effect on your ability to engage in kink in other places so yes and no i find that it sort of helps to keep people informed of not just what's going on with me but of like what adjustments i need so sometimes it'll be like hey i really don't feel like i'm in a good headspace to do these kinds of kink like i don't want to do hypno that covers these topics or whatever or that delves into mm -hmm. these role play role play places or whatever because i'm not in a good headspace for them but i'm still up for these physical activities or I mm -hmm. can't do this amount of pain because to get there, I need to engage this much energy and I can't get there. Things yeah. like that might need to be adjusted for a couple of months and then we can go back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, it was so hard for me, like going through the breakup and feeling like I had no emotional bandwidth for kink. It was really, yeah. that was, it was surprising to me. I don't think that's ever happened to me before. 
it's really hard sometimes. And like some dynamics hit you harder than others in the way they come apart. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I found like this one was particularly harder because I couldn't just drop it and disengage. It was with mm -hmm. someone who they had to stay in my life to some extent. Yeah. Because of other same things. For me. Same so for me. like, it took more bandwidth for me to process having to keep them in my life than it would have if I could have gone, oh, it's a clean break. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, it, it's much harder because I had a dynamic um, with a guy who I call Chad um, mm -hmm. and we made a clean break and I spent very little time thinking <laughs> about like, it in hindsight. Not that clean breaks are like easy, but I find no. that it's a shorter time frame of like feeling wrecked by it mm -hmm. than when That's you're so trying to do a de-escalation. Because when you're trying to do a de-escalation, yeah. you have to rebuild a new relationship. Right. And being in that level That's of co-creation with someone is hard because you still have to engage That's with them the and difference. be in a level of co-creation with them that makes them present. But you're grieving the fact that they're not present in the way they were. Yeah, I think that's the perfect characterization of it, that there's a huge difference between a de-escalation and a breakup. Yeah. And like they're just very they're very characteristically different. I'm, I'm going to write that down. In fact. <laughs> and like I feel like as polyamorous people, we often sort of sell de-escalations as a positive side of polyamory. And they are because it gives our lives a lot of opportunity for having people in our lives who don't fit perfectly as romantic partners for our whole lives or who fit well for a shorter period of time. But they are sort of equally full of heartbreak as a real breakup yeah. with a lot more emotional labor attached. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like the, I feel like they sell it as like the I'm so woke version of a breakup. And it's like, yeah, but that's, that's a lot of emotional maturity to kind of like get to, you know, where we're so used to like, well, I just broke up with this person and now they're out of my life. Um, it's a lot of work to properly yeah. deescalate and still keep someone in your life. If it's, we had a breakup and I'm getting over it, but they're gone. That's mm -hmm. one thing. And we're pretty well trained in how to do that, right? Society has scripts for that. Right. Most yeah. of us have done it a bunch yeah. by the time we're in our 30s, right? Especially but for like, Polly. <laughs> but like doing a proper de-escalation where the person is still in our lives is harder and is a lot of work. And I find a lot of us in the kink scene have done it more because, especially if we have a big public scene, we keep seeing them. We keep seeing them at munches. We keep seeing them at, you know, skill shares and classes and stuff. And so we sort of have to figure out how to deal with them in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't deal with it get known in the local scene as like the people who didn't handle breakups well. Right. So there is a certain amount of that that lends pretty well to being open or being polyamorous or figuring those things out. Yeah. I think it's, this, it, this is just such a good point. And it's like, it, it's like dawning on me that, um, you know, de-escalation is kind of this, it, it's glorified or it's kind of flowery, I guess, mm -hmm. in the, in the polyamorous community and maybe even in the kink community as well. Um, but it, it's actually a bit of a harder, 
emotional road and and that people should really be gentle with themselves around that because yeah if you're having trouble with it it's really hard yeah I mean I struggle with it I, I struggle with it myself I have struggled with it for the last you know five six months that we've been de-escalating these relationships and um you know it's it's simultaneously true that you cannot want to be in a relationship, romantic or kink or both relationship Mm -hmm. with somebody that you still want in your life, but struggle to integrate the new paradigm with. It's not an easy concept. You can care for someone deeply and not fully understand in what capacities you can have them in your life. Like figuring out Mm -hmm. what capacities you can keep someone in your life requires figuring out what capacities you have to keep them out of your life into and sorting out where those boundaries are when you've previously had them in your life in many more capacities is really hard and it involves offending each other as you both figure that out because we all take that personally yeah and i think too like the kink adds a layer it adds an extra layer of like you know grief around some of these things too um, because vulnerable. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing about, that's the thing about King dynamics and how deeply vulnerable they are. It's the appeal, but it's also the, the raw truth is that when those things end and sometimes they do end, um, it's a lot harder to let go of those, of the good parts of it. You know what the bad parts are, but you know, like to let, and and of course everyone's like, well, I don't want to deal with that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, very hard to let go of what the good parts were of those dynamics or the things that you'll miss because they're just very unique to that individual person. You can't duplicate those. People aren't replaceable. Yeah. And it's scary to do the thing of opening yourself up and being vulnerable and then find that you were wrong, right? Like you didn't make Mm. exactly the right choice because you care about this person, but the way you thought you two were compatible isn't the way you were compatible. And you have to figure out what the yeah. real way is, and it's less than you hoped. Yeah. And like sometimes that involves getting hurt. Point. Even if they didn't do harm to you, you both got hurt along the way. And that's icky. Yeah. But it's and real. I think sometimes too, I think sometimes too, and and when we're learning in kink, um, and lines and boundaries are crossed with kink partners Mm -hmm. um that can ultimately end a relationship or contribute to the end of a relationship and it's really hard it's it's hard to sit with that you know i've had scenes that were so failed that ultimately it was very hard for me to bounce back and i think you know sometimes stuff like that also happens and and it's not particularly anybody's fault but we do make mistakes in kink and and Sometimes they're just very shocking. Right. Sometimes it's an honest mistake, but it does hurt someone. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a mistake that nobody really could have predicted because someone of the two of us didn't realize there was a trigger there. And look, Mm -hmm. we've blown up someone's little T trauma all over this. Yeah. And now we're both trying to repair, but we couldn't repair in a way that moves the relationship forward, just in a way that lets us care about each other from a little more distance. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, these are great points. Super hard, but it's something that's real and that happens to us kind of all the time. Like, I don't want to say it like it's every Friday, but like, (laughs) you know, I've been involved in kink for 14 years and I feel like I can think of five, six times where this has happened over that many years. 
And like, that's significant. When you like, I don't know about you, but when I'm engaging in kink, sometimes I like to go to, to like my emotional edges to like heal some things for myself, not like in a therapeutic way, but in a sexual way. Um, I always like to draw that distinction. So I think sometimes the themes that we're playing around or that we're playing with in kink, um, can get a little edgy and racy, um, and can, can, when it goes wrong, can break open those traumatic like experiences for us. And I've, I've had that happen, you know, with a couple of partners, Mm -hmm. um, and it never feels great. And I think it also, I think the partners that I was playing with were newer than me and didn't really understand where the line of responsibility was in terms of, okay, the, the thing has happened and what does the aftercare look like? Um, and that right. may, I think that actually, I think the, the mistake is, is less um, important than the aftercare when the aftercare has fallen down after the mistake, that is what I can't recover. Right. Sometimes it's intentional to like do the scene that breaks you into a million pieces, but you do it with the understanding that together you're going to do aftercare that the two of you are going to put all of those pieces back in a little basket that we can glue it back together after. And over the next few days do follow-up aftercare. That's going to put all the pieces back together. Like one of those, you know, the Japanese put it back together with gold between it. That's mm-hmm. what you think is going to mm-hmm. happen with yeah. the piece of the, the piece of you that you're trying to work on. And mm-hmm. when you negotiate that and what actually happens is, well, we successfully broke it and we did the first part, but now you're just left holding the basket with the pieces. Good luck finding the gold. That's mm-hmm. the times when it's yeah. like relationship shattering in my experience, right? So like the partners who can help you put the pieces together after are the ones who you stay with and the ones where the scene really falls apart because at some point in the aftercare, it doesn't come together Mm -hmm. are the ones where things really fall apart in my experience. I think too, like, I don't know if you found this to be true for yourself, but like, one of the things I struggled with the most in the beginning of my BDSM journey was asking for the aftercare I needed or realizing the aftercare that I needed. Yeah. Recognizing what it is that you need to get there is a skill. And mm -hmm. especially if you're on the top side of a scene, having doms who won't ask for what they need. And then later are like, I'm not getting what I need out of this relationship. Mm is a significant problem. I recently had this conversation with my husband because as we are retooling our dynamic currently, mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, asking me, what do you want? Like, how do you want to feel? What, you know, what things do you want me to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I feel like I've given you a whole list. And what you do you need? Me what you want? Yeah. Like, and, and I, and he was like, Oh my God, you're right. Like I didn't, like, where are we taking you? Think in about this? It. Yeah. So it's interesting. And like, I've also experienced Dom drop a couple of times and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel different from sub drop. Like it all feels exactly the same. Um, and I think that it's, it's interesting. Like I, especially when I've been engaged in pain play as a Dom, I really need to understand and hear that the person liked the things that happened, that it was great mm-hmm. for them. I need to know and hear those things. Um, yep. And that's like part of the aftercare for me. Um, 
And to hear that someone like enjoyed what happened, that it was all okay what happened, you know, all of those things I think are really, really important. Um, I think that the needs of the submissive in terms of aftercare can be very obvious and they're not always as obvious for the dom. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's really important to bridge that gap um, in care for one another um, yeah. in terms of and, what happens after. And in a polyamorous context, making sure that we're not then relying on a nesting partner to finish our aftercare for us when we send somebody home mm. at the end of a date, that we're doing intense scenes in a time frame where we have the spoons to reach out after, where we can actually be in care and in conversation. Because sometimes, like, if you don't nest with somebody, because, like, I don't nest with my partner who I have the most intense dynamic with, setting things up mm-hmm. so that, like, we're both dropping in separate spaces from each other is sometimes unavoidable, but it's got to be at a time where we can reach out to each other and sort of take care of each other and hold each other up. Because otherwise, right. we're making our other partners nuts. <laughs> as we kind of fall apart. I always urge people to have like some sort of drop plan. Like I have, at one point when I was in intense dynamic with Sam and an intense dynamic with my husband, Paul, I had this note in my phone called, if you drop. And it was Mm -hmm. like, reach out to your husband, reach out to Sam, have a piece of chocolate, have an orgasm. Like I had like Mm -hmm. a list of like the things that would bring me out of that drop. And sometimes like you don't, I mean, to be fair, sometimes like you don't know you're in drop until yeah. you're like, I you don't, don't realize until, you, until you're like, everybody yeah. hates me. My whole life is terrible. Nothing's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. Ever again. Why do I feel depressed? And I want chocolate. I'm so sad. I can't stop crying. Like I, I remember the first time I dropped and feeling like I was so sad. I, I thought I was catching the was flu and sad at the same time. Like my whole, I, I remember just, just like, wandering. I was wandering the house and I was wandering my house and I was just crying. And I thought that it was because our winter break had ended <laughs> or was ending in like two days. And my mm-hmm. husband was going to go back to work and I was walking around just crying. And I was like, I'm going to feel like this forever. It's going to be forever. It's like the most, for anyone who hasn't experienced drop like in the BDSM world, it's literally like the most acute episode of depression and it lasts like 12 to 18 hours. Well, right. And like, look, polyamorous people can sometimes get like social drop from having been with like your whole kitchen table polycule in an intense experience for a short period of time and then going home and being alone after you can get the same thing of all your endorphins get filled up and then they yes fall out from you and then you feel bad like a day after you get home or 12 hours after you get home for like a day you feel terrible you sort of almost feel fluey you don't feel good everything is awful and it feels like the world is gonna end it's that feeling but sometimes more intense because you've also done it to yourself with adrenaline and with physical like symptoms from doing physically intense play as well sometimes if you do enough bdsm you can kind of you can kind of get ahead, or at least I can kind of get ahead of this. I know that if Mm -hmm. I'm going to push a boundary for myself, that 
I'm much more likely to drop. So I'm going to need really, really good aftercare and co-regulation afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And I might still drop anyway, but you know, I, I think it's always come up for me when I've pushed a boundary a little farther than I had before. Yeah. Big emotions and big physical pushes are the two things that sort of trigger it the most. And if you do both at once is sort of the, oh my gosh, why moment, right? Yeah. But it's, but it feels so good. It feels so good (laughs) in the moment. That's, oh my gosh, why? This is why we keep doing it to ourselves. Why is because like, it just feels like flying. That's why. Well, and because for some of us, it's the thing that turns our crank. Why? Because I couldn't imagine life without it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no better drug than subspace or dom space. Like it's just such a great place to be. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I love the, I love both of them for different reasons, but it's always that to me, I describe it as that headspace of just being gone. It's better and cheaper than drinking too much. Like, yeah. Although you may still feel shitty the next day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You might still have a hangover, but. (laughs) So. Just an emotional nature. Exactly. So we've been having a great conversation and I have you here past the time I promised to have you here. Do you have any big things coming up that I should let the people know about? Or should I just be pimping your Instagram? Yeah. I mean, mostly people can find me on Instagram. Um, I do have a Patreon if you want to be added to my close friends list, which is kind of where I talk about the nuts and bolts of my relationships. I tell sexy stories on there about the things that we're doing uh, kink wise and polyamory wise. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, we, my husband and I and CJ, we're all very sexual people and we are not afraid to, to tell all about it. Um, you know, that I'm doing that and I'm, I'm selling my art. Um, I do ink drawings. That's my backgrounds on Instagram. Um, and I use them for my stories. And if you wish, I will send you a personalized message over them. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I have going on right now. Great. Thank you so much for being with me to talk about this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. So I really appreciate Annie being with us today. If you'd like to learn more about her, you can follow her on Instagram at Annie underscore undone or join her Patreon at patreon.com slash Annie undone. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, as always, you can leave a tip or become a monthly supporter on Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. I really appreciate it. Your tips and support are what keep the blog and podcast ad free. Um, additionally, if you want, you can follow the links in the show notes for the book, the blog, and more episodes of the podcast. And you can find me on Instagram and TikTok uh, at Ready for Polyamory or on Twitter at LauraCB88 if you're looking for more polyamory content before next week's episode, which is going to be about mono plus poly relationships. That is relationships where one person in the relationship has intentionally chosen to be monogamous and does not feel at all polyamorously oriented. Have an amazing week. I'll see you then.